breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel. Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in studio. Yesterday, we spoke with Shreveport City Councilman Grayson Butcher uh, about the events that went on Friday night downtown Shreveport. Crowds blocking traffic, um, the the partying from a bark uh, going into the street, kind of uh, just some lawless. I don't know, Grayson Butcher. What would you call what happened Friday night? I would call it unlawful chaos is what I would call it. There we go. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it was just shocking. You know, we had an incident like this late last year uh, that wasn't to that extent. Um, supposedly, and I'll just give you a little background on it, supposedly there's there's a bar or a couple of bars in downtown Shreveport that have DJs, and the DJs are putting these speakers up on the roof, and they are, in the, in the previous video towards the end of last year, the, the, the DJs are inciting the people street to get out in the middle of the street and as you saw one of them was 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 jumping up on an 18 wheeler and that that 18 wheeler that we saw in this last video was not part of you know this group it was just trying to go down highway one Mm -hmm. to get to wherever it was going and so so these djs are inciting uh, these crowds to block the state highway and um you know i had a very lengthy conversation with the police chief a few months ago this was probably i want to say november um, about this, and and you know, these bars are breaking the, the decibel level. They're you know inciting people to do things, and you know I, I thought we had this under control, but obviously this was about five hundred times worse this time than it was you know several months ago. There seem to be hundreds of people out on the street. There's three different videos posted. Um, that you posted on on your Facebook page. We've also got them posted on keelnews.com if people want to see this. Um, again, look, I, I have nothing against somebody wanting to go downtown having a good time. We encourage, we're trying to, uh, you know, to build downtown back up to a destination. But but events like this, you know, the, the average person doesn't want to go and be and, and be confronted with this type of behavior. Well, just imagine your child um, possibly have been down had been downtown for some type of event or something like that. They're driving home, and this mob stops them. If you notice in one of the videos, there were some private cars as well that had been stopped. Uh, that that would have to be terrifying. And and you're right. I want people to go down and enjoy our downtown. I think that we need to encourage people to go down and enjoy our downtown. But there are a lot of people that are putting a lot of time and a lot of money into making downtown what it is, and this type of unlawful activity has got to stop. And, you know, I think that a lot of it is we don't have enough police officers down there right now. As everybody knows, we're down police officers. But there's going to have to be something done. I sent an email uh, yesterday morning to the police chief, the mayor, the fire chief, uh, due to the fact that I think inside the buildings, sometimes it's over-occupancy. Uh, and to Councilman Brooks, whose district it is. And I said, look, we have to get this under control. The mayor called me immediately. Um, he, he said that he, too, was astonished by what had gone on and that he would do whatever he could to uh, to remedy the problem. So I think that we're on top of it this time. But 
you know, it, it's just very frustrating. Just imagine the amount of money that has been spent by uh, developers and business people downtown, and people are scared to go down there. I mean, we had a, we had a multi shooting there uh, at the end of March, so um, I don't like that. I, I want our I want our uh, downtown to be someplace that people want to go. So, Councilman, from your post, you make the suggestion that perhaps the police chief is not doing all that he could or can do. Uh, number one, is that what you're saying? And number two, why do you feel like not more has been done? You know, I, I you know, Chief Smith and I have a wonderful relationship. We really do. We have a very open relationship and, and are able to talk. Um, but I do feel like that we need some more uh, police presence in downtown Shreveport. Now, you take that for, for whatever it's worth. Um, and, and it ultimately falls back on the chief. Um, so, yes, I mean, I, I don't like it getting to a point. Uh, I was told that, you know, that there's not very many police officers downtown. That's what a local a local downtown uh, business owner told me. And that in this particular incident that they were working another incident, didn't have enough cops down there to disperse this crowd um, because there just wasn't enough. And for officer safety, I mean, you can't go in a crowd like that. I don't know how many people were there. It looked like 100, 200 people. I was going to say, um, it may not be safe for an officer to even, I mean, a single officer, certainly, in a crowd like that. Exactly. So what, what, what I would encourage the police chief to do is let's try to, let's try to kind of, you know, over the summer, have more officers in downtown. And in my email to the, to the chief, I said, whatever we need to do, if you need funding for this, whatever you need to do, if we need to do a budget amendment, I'll help sponsor it. If you need a decibel meter where you can go down there and read how loud these bars are, because look, we have apartment complexes. We have a really nice hotel right around the corner that the, the owner has invested a tremendous amount of money in. We, we just can't have this in downtown Shreveport. We just can't. Well, especially if you said they're set, they're actually setting up speakers outside the club and encouraging people to, to be outside and then in the street. That's, yeah, you can't allow that. No, and and whatever the police chief needs uh, to put in his toolbox to fix this, I think that it's our responsibility as a council and as and the mayor to give him what he needs. But I don't want you know it's almost like you know oh gosh this happened uh, we don't have enough officers to take care of it when this has been a growing problem for several months and uh, it's just persistently gotten worse. If and having said that, if these bars are in non-compliance, if the bars are, uh, you know, have too many people in there, if, if they're putting these speakers on the roof and they're doing all this stuff, then they need to be disciplined. They need to be looked into. Uh, you know, uh, ABO needs to go in there and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. So I, I don't want it to come across as I was blaming the chief. I'm just asking him to get this taken care of because I don't want to see it happen again. Right. You said this is Gary Brooks's district. Have you spoken with him? I have talked to Gary. We talked at length about it yesterday. He's he's very much concerned as well. And he has had numerous conversations with the police chief over the last several uh, months about this as well. So, yes, uh, he is. Very- One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike M. McCarty.
with Louis R. Avalone in for the vacationing errand. She'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I, am, I am looking forward to hearing about her escapades. Escapades. Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Her escapades. Uh, she uh, had a, a long weekend and looking forward to her getting back. By the way, Ernie Robertson going to be joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, a veritable walking encyclopedia of Shreveport history. Uh, always enjoy talking with him. We've got Kate Brumley uh, scheduled for the 7 o'clock hour. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk with him about uh, education in Louisiana. Yesterday, city council meeting. Louis R. Avalone is in studio for Aaron today. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't good. It well, was, parts of it uh, were. I, I watched the meeting, and you know there were uh, family members of those who had been killed or otherwise were the victims of police brutality. Uh, by the Shreveport at the hands of Shreveport police well, now, now officers. We, careful with that phrase. Well, a- allegedly. It's certainly from their yeah. perspective it was. And, the, you know... We're, we're still waiting on the police from the Louisiana State Police report on the uh, the shooting of the, the man in the parking lot. Sure. Uh, still waiting on that report from what I understand. And... Now, my understanding was he was armed. He was fighting with the police. Um, they knew he had uh, he had a, a, a lengthy criminal history. They they knew uh, when they were encountering him uh, that it was possibly a dangerous individual. So I mean, already in in that situation, your your adrenaline is you know your you, we would say the adrenaline dumped, um, and then uh, you know when you fight with the police, you escalate the situation. So, uh, but I'm not. Blame blame on either side at this point until I see the report from the uh, LSP. But there was also somebody that came and addressed the city council the, uh, who wasn't from here. I think he said his name was Adrian Parker. Adrian Parker. He said he drove 1,300 miles. A member of the Black Panther Party. Yes, and uh, made some rather salacious or otherwise, uh, you know, very painted the Shreveport Police Department with a very broad brush. He made the comments that Shreveport Police Department, uh, all members of the police department are out to kill all black people. Right. I mean, he said that at the city council meeting to the city council. And and you... That's an awfully broad brush. That that is meant only to incite. That, that That is... Meant only to incite. But my question is, you because know, you know that is not true. That is absurd. Yeah, and, no, and, I, and it's and it should have been it should have been addressed when it was when it was said. Obviously, there are black police officers. We have a black police chief. Are they white supremacists? Or, or, is that what's going on? I mean, it, do they want to kill uh, black people because of the color of their skin? And that is essentially. Well, that's not essentially. That is exactly what uh, this member of the Black uh, Panther claimed to be a member of the uh, Black Panthers for, uh, he said, 55 years. So I'm not quite sure how early in his teens uh, he might have uh, considered himself to be a Black Panther. But, you know, the other striking part of this was no city councilman said a word. You know, I... And you have to go back and you have to watch the – and you can. You can go to YouTube and you can watch the city council administrative meeting 
yesterday in the public comment section. But not a single city councilman said a word as this um, Adrian Parker basically said all police officers on the Shreveport Police Department want to kill people who have black skin. It's 2023. I mean, it's so absurd. It's so divisive. And and it's not so much. Let's deal with the facts on a case by case basis. No doubt. And and I will say there were members uh, again, uh, family members uh, who allegedly uh, whose family members uh, were killed or otherwise uh, were the victims uh, allegedly of pr- police brutality. And. To Chairman Green or to President uh, Reverend Green uh, of the council, to his credit, he asked for their name. He asked for the phone number and he said, I will get an update for you and I will let you know from the from the from the uh, Louisiana State Police in terms of how their investigation is going. So you had this, you know, convergence of different folks who came to the city council meeting basically just wanting to criticize the Shreveport Police Department and the city council uh, as well. Mr. Parker came into town. He's not from here. What he said, he drove from 1,300 miles away or something uh, simply to... To foment insurrection is is basically his his purpose here, and he kept saying the ISP. We need he doesn't apparently doesn't even know where he is. I think he was referring to the LSP. Um, so he's it has no legitimacy in in my opinion. But it now was, are yeah. there are there discussions need to be had? Sure, can things be done differently or better? Can uh, no doubt you know obviously, but let's do it. In, in a in a civil manner, let's sit down and discuss. Not in a racist manner. We got to take a break. We're up against news. One hundred seven FM, seven ten. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten. Keel, Mike, and McCarty. Aaron on vacation. She'll be back tomorrow. Uh, God willing, and the creeks don't rise, as Hank Williams used to say. <laughs> uh, Louis R. Avalone in studio from American Ground Radio. Uh, by the way, let me just say this real quick. Um, I've heard Stephen Parr, your your partner yes. on American Ground Radio, yes. is playing Tevia. Yes. Yes, he's been growing a beard <laughs> And his I hair. I, I wanted is, to talk to him about this. Oh my lord! It is out of control. It I, is completely out of control. Believe it or not, this, this he is completely out of control as well. <laughs> but that's another discussion, right? Uh, it's the theater in Grand Cane. Yes, doing Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. When when are the shows? Uh, this weekend. Oh, it and, is coming up this weekend. Then the next weekend. Yes. Okay. Um, I've actually, I, ironically, played that role myself uh, a couple different times it's my one of my favorite characters of all time i love tevia you did it with the beard your your oh, beard yeah. is is much more groomed than his <laughs> it is just it and, is well, just and, a, and, uh, of course for me this, this uh irish you know scott english uh heritage 
to portray a Jewish patriarch, I had to do it uh, very, you know, you want to, obviously my fa- my wife's family uh, immigrated from Russia, her father's side, uh, a Jewish, you know, Jewish family years, many, many, many years ago. So I have a lot of respect for uh, that culture. And, uh, of course, I, I did my hair darker and my, you know, my beard darker. Sure. Uh, but uh, Tevia, a man of faith, uh, a family man, you know, trying to coordinate uh, multiple daughters. Sure. And, and, and uh, the political unrest in his country. And I just, I just love Tevia. So, uh, Stephen, good man, good show. And. Uh, I wish I could see it. I'm not going to be able to see it, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, you can go to backalleygrandcane.com yes. to uh, see showtimes. And uh, anyway, it, it, it should be a good show. And uh, as much as I'm looking forward to the play, I'm looking forward to him shaving <laughs> that no, whatever it is <laughs> that's growing around his face. <laughs> Well, uh, a good show. What, what a great show. What a great show. There's a reason it's been around 50 years. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof at uh, Back Alley Theater in Grand Cane. 101.7 FM. One hundred one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty with Louis R. Abalone in studio with us this morning. Uh, Louisiana Superintendent of Education Kate Rumley joining us about this time next hour, uh, and there is some good news in the education world. Uh, uh, Louisiana schools have jumped. Like five places. Isn't that awesome? That's I mean, we're always at the bottom of the list of everything. So we've got to celebrate we're moving, some movement. Yes, making some positive movement from 46th to 41st in 2023. So that is that is some good news. Well, education, you know, of course, education is always important. I mean, it, it's, it's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. I mean, and and with the pace of everything today education is more important than ever i mean if we're going to maintain our position as the most prosperous and powerful nation in the world and i know there's a lot of folks out there that says well too late for that one um we need to invest in our education system and i think there are so many especially here in our local community that are so passionate about improving education uh my brother-in-law brother-in-law is going to say yeah Absolutely. And uh, Louisiana Key Academy coming online in the fall, which is so exciting. Uh, a school that is designed specifically to deal with students with dyslexia. And, you know, for, for so many years, uh, people have had to, you know, deal with that and make the make their way as best they could, uh, you know, not even knowing what the issue was. Probably right. a lot of times, uh, people thought, well, they're just, they're just, they can't read, they're, they're dumb or something like that. But, you know, they had a, they had a, a, a genuine problem. So I'm excited about that. Uh, a, another thing the report showed from the state high school graduation rank in Louisiana moved up eight spots from 45th to 37th. That's great. So That's... making some positive moves, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with uh, Superintendent Brumley uh, next hour. Uh, we'll go more in-depth about that. 
and uh, reading scores. We improved 10 places, 48 to 38. Sure. And, you know, education is, is critical. Yeah, it's it's important for jobs, but it's also critical for our democracy. You know, in order to have informed citizens, we need to have a strong foundation in reading, writing, and critical thinking. We've got – we need folks that can critically analyze complex issues, separate fact from fiction. Y- yes. Um, make informed decisions about the future of our city, of our state, of our country. But, it, but along with that comes the responsibility, and especially on the local level, to make sure of, you know, know what your children are being taught. Right. That, that know is, the right. curriculum that is being taught and who's teaching them. And uh, unfortunately, our education... Because we see... Yeah, has been under attack for decades. Uh, you've got ideologues who dominate our schools, our universities. I mean, there are a lot of folks whose children go off to college and are afraid to speak out in class because they feel like the teacher will give them a bad grade or otherwise, you oh, know. Oh, in college, that's that, that's been known. That's you know, Conservatives have, have issues. Conservative students. Uh, you know, have issues, but that, 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 that's a whole other discussion. Isn't that the truth? But, uh, yeah, congratulations to, to uh, Dr. Brumley and uh, his staff and uh, the teachers in, in our area doing a great job. And, uh, we'll find out more about that this uh, the coming up next hour. Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in studio. What a- okay. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty Aaron on vacation. She'll be back tomorrow. Took a couple of days off early this week to make it a long weekend last weekend. Um I think she went hunting Bigfoot, she said she was going to go. Yeah, I think she was hunting Bigfoot, yeah. <laughs> But if, if she if she went to Florida, it's the, it's the skunk ape down there. So the skunk ape, the skunk ape. That's yeah. rather unappealing sounding. Yeah, no, you don't want to be near it. <laughs> yeah, LSU went. It, by the way, if there, I mean, there's shows dedicated to this. People actually are really doing. Yeah, apparently hunting Bigfoot. Uh huh. Yeah. What evidence is there of oh, there been, other than grainy photographs? There have been so many shows dedicated to hunting Bigfoot. Guess how many of them have found him? Well, that's my question. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, sure, it'd be cool if they... Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, yeah. Uh, the movie that was in the mid-70s mm-hmm. or early it's 70s. One of like my favorites, 70, yeah. Yeah. Son, that movie scared the <laughs> hell out of me. You know, every every and, time uh, me and my wife travel north, we always stop in Falk at the Monster Mart, where right, like yes. cl- close to where they filmed Boggy Creek, and it's amazing. They, and they still sell like copies. You can get the and it has like a little sticker on it, bought from Monster Mart, the Monster Mart versions of the DVD of Boggy Creek Monster and Boggy Creek Two. I actually saw that on. Um, I don't know one of the streaming. I think, or maybe no, I saw the no. I saw the DVD someplace, and I went. I've got to get this. 
and and I. <laughs> Because I haven't seen it since, you know, it it scared me to death right? Uh, years ago. And then you watch it again now, and it's like, okay, oh, this is one of the worst movies it's ever It's the made. corniest, <laughs> the most hilariously corny movies on earth. Next to probably, you know, the only one that tops that is probably Plan 9 from Outer Space or something but like that, that. Yeah, but that's different. That was... <laughs> But but going back to there there are TV shows I mean like on the Discovery Channel or something oh yeah legitimate that that are hunting but it, there's never been a carcass found there's never been a a, a Bigfoot skeleton that I know of blurry footage on uh, on game cameras that's the best they can do and a hair every now and then they get they get like a hair on a stuck to a tree. Well, it's like the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, people have been talking about the Loch Ness Monster for 1,500 years. Yes. <laughs> you know, and every so often someone claims to have evidence that it exists, but it's like Bigfoot. It's always this so what is fuzzy there? photo of a hump or two humps protruding right. above the water. Looks like the looks like the dinosaur from the Sinclair logo. Remember the, <laughs> what are the the brontosaurus? Is that what yeah, that's yeah, called? Yeah, so the Sinclair. Yeah, I think it's a brontosaurus. Yeah. Where, where the head's coming out of the water. But what is her fascination with that? I mean, obviously it would be you know if if there was. But like a hair on a tree, that could be a bear. That could be a hundred and four different things. My my whole thing is it's got to be some kind of generational thing from way back when you know parents used to want to keep their kids out of the woods and keep them from getting lost. It's like oh, there's a big hairy monster in there that'll eat you. Don't don't go in there. And then the kids' morbid fascination, they want to see the big hairy monster. I think that I think that part of us still exists. But the, the sound of that scream from Legend of Boggy oh, Creek. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't oh. replicate it if I tried. <laughs> yeah, scared me to death. Uh, Dr. Kate Brumley, Louisiana Superintendent of Education, joining us next hour, Mike and McCarty, with Louis R. Avalone in studio, 101.7 FM. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty. Aaron on vacation. She'll be back tomorrow. Louis R. Avalone graciously accepted our invitation to uh come guest host with me this morning. And uh Louis, last night I'm I'm watching I'm watch I'm I'm still watching Fox News to some degree, a little bit. Yeah, no, I hear you. I it, do too. Um I, I'm very disappointed in the loss of Tucker. Um, from what I understand, of course, we, you never know the inside, really. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. never know what did, had led to certain decisions. Um, but I'm, I'm watching the story and, and I'm watching hundreds and hundreds of people line up to just cross our border almost unimpeded. And if you look at that line of these hundreds of people, most of them are single military aged men. Yeah. Waiting to cross the border. I saw a few women. I didn't see any children in the footage that I saw. Now that maybe that was by design. I'm I'm not saying, you know, there weren't, but it, it it's there is a concerted effort. This is not, of course, uh, Title 42, is that what that is? And Title 42 is being lifted. And, of course, that is... Which is a health care... Uh, right. That's a, a... Restriction. A public health policy... Right. ...that was enacted during the Trump administration during COVID 
that allowed for the rapid expulsion of immigrants who are crossing the border But now there's illegally. a call to reinstate it, not for COVID, but for uh, a health crisis uh, based on fentanyl coming across our border. Well, yeah. So it, they're saying, you know, we can reinstate Title 42 before it expires. And, and not that it's making a huge difference because they're still pouring across our border. Uh, I think they said the, the last night, one of the reports said the uh, the entire population of San Antonio comes across our border every three days. No, it, and it is concerning as well because you have Venezuelans, you have Hondurans that are being moved, positioned on the United States border. And one very serious question is, who is funding the movement of literally thousands of our fellow human beings? I mean, because it's... This un- is a coordinated effort. It, it is, because... This isn't somebody just going, I want to go to America today. These are not folks that look as if they've been walking hundreds and hundreds of miles. You have to have water. You have to have food. You have to have shelter. I mean, these are coordinated they seemingly would be coordinated efforts and to chalk it up to happenstance. No, these are folks that have just hitchhiked their way hundreds of miles to now where we have thousands positioned on the border. And this is really a separate issue, I think, but besides the debate of whether or not you believe in, in more immigration or less immigration. It, it is literally unco- it is unconscionable to advertise to the world that our border is open with the because that is false advertising with respect to title 42 going away many of these uh, immigrants are making this journey believing that the border is open they get to the border there is no name the charities me, the churches there can't absorb them name me any country that has open you just come on in and then once you get in, that country is going to give you free health care. Country is going to give you free housing, free food, free education, a free cell phone. There's no other country in the world. You you can't go into Mexico. That that the border is wide open from Mexico, but you you can't cross back over the other way. You can't go into Canada. No, no. You're not going to go into China. You're not going to go into Cuba. Right. And, and and this is, I think for many Americans, you know. If you don't have secure borders, you don't have a country. Absolutely. No doubt. And the border patrol is already overwhelmed. I mean, the immigration system that we have in this country is broken. And by the Biden administration lifting Title 42, it, I mean, they've all, even with Title 42 in place, they have advertised to the rest of the world, come on in. And if there's anyone that that disputes that to say, oh, that that that's just you're overstating it. Uh, look at the testimony of uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, Director uh, Secretary uh, Mayorkas. Does oh, there's a criminal. In this himself. is a guy that doesn't even recognize that we have an issue with thousands upon thousands of immigrants, illegal immigrants that have come into this country and we don't even know where they are. And before someone says, oh, you just don't like brown-skinned people. I am the first generation son of an Italian immigrant. 
if there's anyone that can appreciate the value of immigration, the American dream, I've had a front row seat to the American dream my entire life. It's me. Mm-hmm. So don't go there. Don't go there with me, at least, because I, I'm all for immigration. I'm all for the well, American dream, but to do it legally. Uh, and that's it. Absolutely. People want to better themselves. There's been no better opportunity than this country to provide opportunity for people coming in to be able to, you know, create that or make that dream a reality, to own your own home, to work hard. But, you know, it takes effort on your part. Don't come over and just expect everything handed to you. Unfortunately, that's what happens. But, you know, I want I want somebody to come in that's going to be a contributing member of our society. That's going to get, you know, get a job that's going to work, maybe take advantage of our education, better themselves. Right. I think that pay taxes. You know, I think growing up, that was always the value or the and do it legally, like you said, the draw, the opportunity uh, that this country offered, not the benefits that this country offered. Louis R. Avalone in studio, Mike Martindale, Aaron McCarty on vacation. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Lewis R. Avalone in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty. She'll be back tomorrow. Uh I know you're probably not if if I were a gambling man, you're not an F one fan. Probably not. <laughs> not so much. I uh, normally that's coming up later this month, right? Oh, yeah. they no, they they just had a race the uh, this past weekend in Miami, and normally they're all over the world. You know, uh, in fact, the next race is uh, in, um, what do I, I don't know if I can say it right, Romagna Grand Prix, Emilia Romagna. Um, it, it's in Italy. But what about the Indy Five Hundred? And that's that's, that's usually right more, around yes. Memorial Day uh, yeah. weekend. But F1 um, is not is not. Uh, I, I have the F1 app, so I get to watch the races um, when you know when I get ready because usually they're at four in the morning or something. Sure, our, our local time. But this Saturday it was in Miami, and so I got to watch the race live. Okay. and I even watched some of uh, the pre-race show, which never get to do. Um, and the, and they had a thing where it was a little. It was a little awkward. They did uh, the driver introductions, and they had LL Cool J, and they had Will I Am conducting an orchestra, which was kind of cool. Um, and I thought, well, I've never seen the pre-show, you know, the pre-race show, sure. really. Sure. I didn't. Is this a normal thing? Well, it's not a normal thing, and it was a little awkward. Um, they, they brought each driver out. There's 20 drivers on the, on the grid. 10 teams. Each team has two drivers. Sure. Uh, two cars. And, and it was a little, it was a little odd. Um, they're, you know, they're trying to make a show of it. They're, uh, Miami, they do a great job. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the race in Las Vegas. We're the only country that has three races during the season. Uh, but the, but, um, one of the Mercedes drivers, George Russell, said he was a little upset at at all of the the pomp and circumstance that took place. 
he says, uh, he says, I guess it's the American way of doing things during sport. I'm here to race. I'm here. F- I'm not here for the show. I'm here to win. So the tone of the event was off is what you're saying. A little bit. Just a little bit of that. To me, it just felt a little awkward. I understand what they were doing, you know. It's uh, not NASCAR. F- well, F1 has gotten huge in America. But in terms of the, the atmosphere, you know, there's... As far as NASCAR is concerned, there's more of a relaxed, laid back, have a good time. Is that not? I don't know anything about F1. Yeah, uh, racing. Well, they so. had they had uh, three hundred thousand people, so it's pretty huge over the course of the weekend. You know, I, I remember thinking that's more than the population of Shreveport was at the uh, race. You know, in Miami over the course of the weekend, close to three hundred, not quite, but. Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting, but I thought it was interesting. George Russell was like, he was a little like, you know, I've got better things to do 30 minutes before the race than stand there in the hot sun, you for know, the show. for the yeah, for the show. And and I kind of see his point, you know, but uh, the American audience is just continuing to grow. So I understand them fostering that. Sure. And, you know, and making and making it more of a uh, making it a, a show. entertaining. But uh, in, in yeah. for folks that. Come on, George, loosen up. Un- unclench the buttocks a little bit there, lad. <laughs> Go to the coronation. I don't know. Uh, coming up at 740, Kate Brumley, Louisiana Superintendent of Education, going to be joining us. Uh, some good news in the education world. We'll talk about that. Mikey McCarty. One oh one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike Martindale, Aaron McCarty, Lewis R. Avalone in for the vacationing. Aaron, uh, she'll be back tomorrow. She took a long weekend, as they say in Great Britain. How was your weekend? Ruben just made a comment during the break that it just made me laugh. Ruben, you, you said well, you're going to reset your. Uh, I've never been more excited about anything <laughs> in my life. I got I got to set my alarm for for an hour ahead of where it has been this week yeah so my, my week has Ruben, been made <laughs> Ruben comes in when Aaron's not here and takes care of the news yes and uh so when 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 Aaron is coming in she's here before either one of us yeah yeah and when yeah and so when when I have to cover <laughs> I'm here about an hour earlier than laugh. I normally am pretty ridiculous Ruben's over there on his phone <laughs> I get to reset my alarm <laughs> I was so happy <laughs> I said, yeah, Fridays are my favorite because when it goes off, then I can turn it on. Right. <laughs> and don't have to, don't have to leave it reset. Uh, Dr. Kate Brumley is going to be joining us on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline coming up right after the break. Mike and McCarty. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in studio for the vacationing Aaron McCarty on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. Uh Louisiana State Superintendent of Education, Dr. Kate Brumley joining us. Good morning, Dr. Brumley. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. We've got some good news. Uh latest report, some uh, US News and World Report, Louisiana climbing and high school graduation, our reading scores. Tell us about some of these uh statistics. 
Well, I, I think what you're referencing, uh, yesterday, uh, U.S. News and World Report uh, released their annual uh, rankings, uh, and it showed Louisiana pre-K-12 education moving from 46th in the country to 41st in the country. So yeah. we're excited about that. Certainly not here to brag about being 41st uh, in, in the country in something. but Well, we can brag about climbing five spots. Yeah, it does, it does show movement. It, it, it shows that, you know, if you really focus on going back to the basics and teaching kids how to read and do math and what they should experience out of high school, um, you can you can move. And uh, we feel like we're really primed to, to further accelerate uh, and, and get down into the 30s next. And our, well, where we are with our high school graduation rank uh, from 45th to 37th, so, you know, we're making progress. That's that's just, I, I, you know, I want to highlight some good news. Yeah, and, and look, we we jumped 10, 10 places in reading levels, uh, 10 places. And so we're really we're really excited about that. Of course, those are standardized uh, scores across the country. And so it's 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 good movement. And, uh, you know, it, it comes at a good time. This is this is teacher appreciation week. And, and certainly we we know that outside of the parent or guardian, uh, really nothing more important than a quality teacher for every kid. And so this movement wouldn't be possible without them. And another thing I, I would highlight is that when the nation's report card came out a few months back, we, we moved from 46 to 42nd. So just another sign that I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but, but clearly in a state that has been long challenged with educational outcomes, we, we know that we have a, a lot of work to do um, and we'll continue to do that work. And, and a huge issue right now with, uh, you know, Riley Gaines is bringing a lot of attention. She's the NCAA swimmer uh, that had to swim against uh, biological males. And you wrote a recent letter regarding Title IX uh, proposing sports participation based on gender identity, not biological sex. Tell us about your letter that you wrote. Well, I, I think it's I think it's the fact that w- we have to be vigilant uh, here in our state, and uh, thankfully, our legislature passed last year the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, uh, which says that in the state of Louisiana, uh, sports at that high school level essentially will be based on biological sex, not not gender identity. So, mm-hmm. basically, biological boys play with boys in, in terms of the sports, and, and girls with girls, and so. I just notified our um, our LHSAA, which is the organization that that kind of oversees high school athletics in Louisiana. That hey, the, the the Biden administration is is has a new rule that they have proposed that would allow for sport participation based on gender identity, not biological sex. And so I wanted to remind uh, the LHSA executive director that in Louisiana we we abide by the. Um, Fairness and Women's Sports Act. And so uh, if ultimately uh, this proposed federal rule moves forward, I I think that it is something that Louisiana, along with other states, uh, should challenge because uh, to me, uh, what the Biden administration here is proposing is the exact opposite of equality in in sports. And and I I think that we have to stand up against it. You know, Riley has has called for all the, you know, women who have to compete with biological males, which we know is just is physically restrictive, you know, for women to, you know, just to step back and go, no, I'm not going to do it. If if you're in a race and there's a, a man lined up, all the women should go, nope, not competing. 
and and I agree with her. I, I'm not one usually for uh, a proponent for uh, boycotting, but I think in that instance, there's got to there's got to be a line drawn, and, and you know we have to stand up. Yeah, and this isn't you know my position on this isn't anti anyone or anti anything. It's just simply you know from a fairness standpoint, from a safety standpoint. Uh, it's just common sense that, you know, whenever we're thinking about high school or, or college sports, things where we have public dollars, um, those should be divided based on biological sex, not someone's gender identity. Now, Superintendent Brumley, you wrote in this letter, this issue matters to moms and dads, coaches, and most importantly, the student athletes. What do you hear from the moms and dads and the coaches and the students themselves, what do you hear in terms of their support or their opposition to the Biden administration's guidance on Title IX? Yeah, I mean, look, what what I hear, and, and I think is the overwhelming majority position of, of residents of our state, is that, that they want to see sports based on biological sex, not not gender identity. We, You know, I think about uh, moms and dads who have taking their, you know, their, their daughter to, to, to swim lessons for you know, 15 years. Thank sat, you. Sat I was one of those parents. Yes. Yeah. Sat in the natatoriums, did the Sunday afternoon practices that, you know, and, and they have put their child uh, through their investment in time and their investment in financial resource uh, in a position uh, to, to, to be at the top of their sport, to maybe earn a college scholarship, to, to earn recognition. Um, and, and this just completely shapes that up. And, and, and that's not fair. And and so what what I'm hearing is is that people agree um, overwhelmingly with the position that that I've taken, which is simply follow Louisiana law. The legislatures last year acted. They, they said that that sports should be separated by biological sex, not not gender identity. And so we're just we're just saying follow the law. Now now I do think it's important to note that the the federal registry. Where, where the Biden administration has this rule proposed uh, is still accepting uh, public comments for, for just a few more days. And so anyone in the listening audience who feels any particular way about this issue uh, still has an opportunity to go in and provide a public comment. Well, there's there's a reason, you know, that there are women's divisions and men's divisions. There's a biologic reason for that men's muscle mass is larger and stronger their hearts are larger their lungs are larger they have a physical advantage as a general rule over women Uh, obviously there are individual differences but as a general rule there's a difference for that and as a father of a former high school swimmer and ncaa swimmer if my daughter would have had to dealt with this i don't know what i would have done I would have come unglued, I can tell you that. So thank you for continuing to, to fight that good fight. Well, I mean, it's 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 what we believe the, the, the right thing to do to maintain integrity and, and safety and, and fairness in, in women's sports. And so that's, that's where I'll continue to stand. Dr. Kate Brumley, uh, Louisiana State Superintendent of Education, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Yeah, sir. thanks for having me. You All bet. Right, take care, guys. 1017.
101.7 FM, 710 Keel. Mike and McCarty, Aaron on vacation. Be back tomorrow. Louis R. Abalone in studio. Thank you so much for coming it in. It is always a pleasure, I'm Mike. Thank so you grateful. so much. Appreciate your, your knowledge and your talent. You uh, host American Ground Radio. Yes. Heard 5 to 7 every evening here on Keel with your co-host, Stephen Parr. Yes. Who is getting ready to uh, open as Tevia. At the Grand Cane uh, Back Alley Theater. That's right. That's this weekend, right. I, I did. I looked up his picture on Facebook uh, as as Tevi. It dude looks good. It, yeah, his beard came along great. Yeah, yeah. That's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. And it opens this weekend. It does. It does. And uh, tickets are going uh, quickly. So uh, you know, go online. You can check it out. Now, earlier earlier this morning, we talked about uh, Shreveport City Council work session yesterday, and they uh, they had uh, they had some guests come in. Well, it was just yeah, there was so much going on. You know, there were uh, family members of those who allegedly had suffered at the hands of um, Shreveport police officers. You know, allegedly police brutality. Uh, some who had had died uh, in interactions with Shreveport police and they wanted answers, you know, especially with regards to the the most recent shooting. Louisiana State Police are involved in the investigation. And, and, and let's say I want to wait until I get the report from the LSP because I've heard conflicting reports from different people. Right. Uh, but we but, you know, when when you make a call, when you make a stop, you call in the license plate on a on a vehicle, and and you get you know a history of the driver, and so you know Shreveport police knew. Uh, in it, well, I, I'm let me say, let me back up. I don't know what they knew. I'm not going to testify what they did or did not know. But as a general rule, you know, you try to prepare yourself for it. You know, for what may be in store, and if you've got somebody with a criminal lengthy. Uh, criminal history then you, you know you you kind of prepare yourself and you're referring to joseph taylor D- joseph Dwayne taylor who was shot by shreveport police during a police stop on mansfield road on april the 23rd and there were family members uh present in the chamber and you know to reverend green's credit uh the the chairman of the of the council you know it almost seemed like he was being considerate of what was being asked which was keep us updated the family members wanted to know what was going on with the louisiana state police investigation and he asked for the representative from the family who had spoken asked for that person's phone number and name and he said i will personally call you with an update and that's that's what those folks were there for right but what what i didn't appreciate was um, apparently, a member of the Black Panther Drove political 1, group thirteen hundred miles to be at the meeting came yesterday. To this allegedly, meeting, right, and and uh, seemingly only to incite uh, dissension. Right, he he uh, made uh, the between the races. He that, made the claim that all police officers want to kill African Americans. That, that when they get in the car and strap on their weapon, their prime objective is to kill black people. And you know, that's his blanket statement uh, for all Shreveport police officers. And of course, I take it's huge Ill- offense to this. It's very illogical. Obviously, we have a chief of police who's African American. We obviously have, uh, you know, 
African-American police officers who are involved in these uh, shootings as well, where folks are either injured or, or die with but interactions with Shreveport Police Department. Lewis, we also have very fine white officers on the department, and that is not their goal. Absolutely not. And and that was also the part that was a little concerning. Not one city council member I'm, I'm getting pissed, spoke up says. in defense of the Shreveport Police Department. And, and the police chief was there. So it's I think it's more indicative that everyone is afraid to speak out. Uh, black or white, Democrat or Republican, it's just not politically correct. Thank you for coming in. We're up against a break. Ernie Robertson joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. I'm so excited to talk with Ernie. A, a veritable fount of Shreveport knowledge. I'm going to pick his brain. 101.7 FM. One zero one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty Aaron on vacation. Be back tomorrow in studio. Ernie Robertson uh, has uh, graciously accepted my invitation to come in. And, and Ernie, I, I just I love talking with you. You know, I love Shreveport history, and I just I, I read uh, your book Lost Shreveport, and and I'm going through and I'm looking at these pictures, and and I and I'm like. From the collection of Ernie Robertson, you know, and I, you must have a, a virtual, a, 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 just a, a encyclopedia. I mean, a, yeah. of of old pictures <laughs> and postcards. Yep. A lot of them just break my heart because I'm like, you know, like the home of W. K. Henderson. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. homes were, and there was another one, and and I meant to bring the book in, doggone it, and I and I, I left it on my nightstand. Um, Probably Newton Crane Blanchard's house. Yes. It was right there uh, beside the uh, uh, Scottish Rite Masonic building across the street. I think there's a tire store that intervened in there. But uh, it was a uh, – I used to joke about that house. And I think the contractor for it – and it was by Neil. Neil was the actual architect for it. But I think the contractor went and bought every window available at some store – around here we like we would have and started putting in different windows in that house when you look at it there are different types of windows and you just go how did anybody design a house that looked like that <laughs> how did you frame that up well, yeah, yeah. I mean, where did that come from but it was a huge home if you think the synagogue across the street was large this home had to be huge see that's and, amazing and it's so sad that they were destroyed all How of, many of uh, well, all of downtown Shreveport had uh, Victorian homes and even some antebellum homes, and they were all wiped out. And the last one to go uh, was the Doll House, and that was to build, and that was uh, Howard F. Doll's house, and that was to build uh, where Jody Wagner Federal Building is was uh, now, and that was not too far from the courthouse, two mm-hmm. blocks away, and so that was the last. Victorian house downtown to go down. It just, again, it just breaks my heart because you see these, and even old buildings. I mean, you know, we had we had opera houses and uh, we did. We had the Grand Opera House. Yes, and the Grand Opera House uh, actually is underneath what used to be. 
the First National Bank uh, right there on Texas Street. I think it's Chase now. And uh, it was right there on the corner. And that's where uh, a Shreveport madam uh, took the girls and they sat upstairs in the balcony and she had a special chair and she plopped down in the chair and they were there for all the cultural events. And uh, the story goes, according to Eric Brock, my dear friend who's passed away, Eric said that the real problem was that some of the gentlemen in the audience would want to turn around and take a glance <laughs> upstairs and their wives would pop them. <laughs> Don't look up there. <laughs> so yeah. it was the girls of the night who came out to be there. And that was just good advertising for Shreveport Madam, by the way. <laughs> what, now, were they there to solicit or were they oh, there no, to no. They just were there advertise? To enjoy the, okay. Uh, cultural entertainment, but they were all dressed well. Okay. So there may have been some advertising in that. But, I mean, the, the, the entire concept of the book is lost Shreveport. Right. It, it, these things that, that we don't have anymore. Um, even, even, you know, you've got a section on the Louisiana State Fair. Uh, the State Fair started, you know, of course, at about the era of, uh, lost Shreveport. We, we aimed that toward 1900 to 1914, basically. And that's when, uh, really the State Fair took off and, uh, Mr. Bollinger, S.H. Bollinger was in charge and he got the concept of not just a Shreveport fair, but a regional fair, and that's what they started putting on. And hence, that's where the racetrack, which doesn't exist anymore, right. that was wiped out, as well as a magnificent grandstand that we had for yes. that, that held 10,000 people all together in the uh, side portions of it. And we had that. It was a dirt track, and then it had been paved at the time of its destruction. But we had great racing there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and, I mean, some of the top people of all time raced there. Terry Labonte raced there when he was 19 years old. I saw him in the race, uh, racing a car, I believe it was the uh, A.J. Fort Chevrolet uh, out of Houston. And then we had other people that went on to uh, race at uh, Indianapolis. And I, I remember growing up, we went to the fair. My grandmother used to take all six of us grandkids to the fair every year. And the grandstand, the back of the grandstand, which faced the midway, mm -hmm. and, and they had booths, you know, mm -hmm. underneath the, at the yeah. back of the grandstand. And I remember hearing the racing going on. Oh, it was a great sound. <laughs> it was a great sound. <laughs> Nothing was, like it. Yes. <laughs> and now, when did we lose that? When was that torn uh, down? We actually... I think it was torn down in 84. I actually oh, okay. was passing by in my magnificent Datsun. Oh, <laughs> boy. Can you imagine me in a Datsun? A standard shift, too, by the way. And I stopped because the wrecking ball had taken out part of the mid-front. And I had, my, I had a Polaroid camera. And I took it out and took a picture of it. So I actually have a picture of it being torn down. I believe that's 1984. Okay. And you have a, a play. In fact, we're going to take a break because I want to talk about uh, you have a, a little store mm -hmm. at Timeline Antiques there on Line Avenue. Mm -hmm. And that answered my one of my questions about where, like in, in the book Lost Shreveport, is this one of your joint ventures with Gary? Yes. Uh, okay. Gary Joyner and I wrote that together. Okay. Uh, but I, but like I say, I kept the postcard of of these beautiful buildings and from the collection of Ernie Robertson, and I was like, where? How do you get all of these things? But we'll <laughs> we'll talk that because it's just fascinating. Uh, Mike and McCarty, Ernie Robertson in studio, one one.
1017 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty, Aaron on vacation. Ernie Robertson in studio with me this morning. Um, Ernie, you've written several books uh, about the history of Shreveport. You're the former registrar of voters. That's correct. For Cattle Parish. How did you get into the history, your, your love of Shreveport history? That started when I was in high school. Okay. Uh, my mother was a, a teacher, and she had a lot of World War II uh, letters, and I think she had a newsletter she sent to the uh, students uh, from Dubach High School uh, whenever she was teaching there. And so I started looking at all of her stuff from World War II, and all of a sudden I got hooked on history, and I went to uh, world history class with all these letters in hand, and my teacher said, those are great. And so I kind of evolved into Shreveport history because of where I lived. And I heard stories about the 1954 plane crash. And I actually lived in the block where the 1940 tornado hit, which was 2300 block of Queens Highway at Portland. And so that was the oral history that I was hearing. And I live right down the street from the home of Tommy Davis, uh, the famous football player for the San Francisco 49ers. And so when he would come in, you know, you got to hear things from him. And all of it evolved around that oral traditions became something I wanted to hear and people telling the stories. And so I got into history. Um, I was born in Shreveport back in 1921. <laughs> and um, so I'm fascinated at, uh, you know, our history. I used to love to read Eric Brock's column mm-hmm. in, in the Shreveport Times for years. Uh, that was a loss. Oh, know. that was that was the worst loss. Uh, Eric and I were friends, and uh, we, the three of us, Gary Joyner and Eric Brock and mm-hmm. I, would uh, go to lunch, and then sometimes just Eric Brock and I, Gary was actually trying to work, and so uh, you know, and it was fun to go to lunch with Eric Brock. I mean. He would just start telling a story, and he told me about a story that he had found about Shreveport's first serial killer. And I went, what? And he said, no, it's really true. I think it's it's the turn of the century. And he was researching that, and I never got to hear the end of it, though I picked up, I think, on the same story one time. But uh, those sorts of things you get from other people. And that's where he would talk to me from the standpoint of, I grew up in West Shreveport. Mm-hmm. And the difference in Shreveport was it was two Shreveports. It was West Shreveport on one side of Southern, East Shreveport on the other, had two different views, two different cultures, two different sets of history. Because I was over here, no one thinks about the State Fair that he had never heard. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with the State Fair. I mean, you're talking to somebody that actually met Ricky Corvette, the six foot eight stripper. And I met her through the grandson of the owner of Royal American Shows who came to school at Claver. Wow. So, I mean, that's just luck and happenstance. I feel like, you know, Forrest Gump some days. Now, you mentioned Queens Highway. Uh-huh. Where is that? Where was that? Is Queens it still Highway, Queens Highway? It's still there. It runs. I'm going to give you the most famous landmark, the Pinstripe Lounge on Kings Highway was at the corner yeah, where yeah. Queens Highway went off by J.C. J. Shepard's uh, con, uh, contracting company. That's Queens Highway, three blocks long, and the 40 tornado jumped from uh, the fairgrounds, went up in the air, and came back, tore up Attaway Street, which doesn't really exist anymore. It's part of I-20, and then 
hopped over to the corner of Portland and Queens Highway. And I believe uh, we had, I know of two people who were killed in that block. And one of the most interesting stories of that, and I know this doesn't fit in with the, the tragedy of people being killed, but uh, they wrote a story about Smokey, the Ludlow's cat, Gene Ludlow's cat. Gene Ludlow grew up next door to where we lived, and Smokey was blown away and came back a week later. <laughs> so, one of those things. Cats find their way back. Cats it's pretty always incredible. find their way back. Uh, you've heard cats that have, you know, inadvertently got into a vehicle and traveled, you know, hundreds of miles away and find their way back home. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Great, right. Great. Uh, there's a. We talked about. We're going to take a break. There's a tunnel system under Shreveport, and and we alluded to that a moment ago. Uh, I want to talk about that after the news at the bottom of the hour. Mike and McCarty with Ernie Robertson in studio. One hundred one seven FM. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty in studio with Ernie Robertson. Ernie, I was talking with somebody, and I think I remember who it was, but I don't want to call him out. Um, we were talking one time last time you were here about uh, a tunnel system under. We just have a, a couple of minutes here, but uh, the Inn Hotel, yes, downtown. Where was the Inn Hotel? The Inn Hotel was actually. Right across the street, basically from what we know as the Capri Theater, at one time was the Sanger Theater, along in that area. And, that, and that's next to where Nanking used to be? Across, yes, across the street from Nanking, let's say. Across it's the across street? across the street. It's on the other side of the block. So Capri It's on the Theater. side with the Selvers, the old Selvers. Okay. Building. Gold rings in that area. And uh, it was a wonderful hotel. Hung around for a long time. God, what a beautiful building, too. It made it into, I think, the early 60s before or maybe late 50s, one of the two. And uh, it was gone. And uh, the thing about the inn was it was a very well-known hotel, and it was very reasonable. And so a lot of people stayed there. Mm -hmm. But it had another reason, too. But it <laughs> and, and, and therein lies my question. <laughs> You said there's a tunnel system that went from where to where, or, or, the, or it went all... Well, the, it went all over town. Because somebody told me that's not true. Well, it well it is true. Uh, and the reason is, I've heard it from enough people who could tell me exactly where the tunnels were. And then I had an idea where all the tunnels were. Uh, but the bottom line was, the first time I heard the story was the tunnel went from the Strand Theater... Uh, yes. To the end, yes. to the up under the end, and you came into the basement and you went up the stairs. Now that part of it made sense because there was a door at the bottom of the stairs when you went down to the men's room to the right. I remembered it as a kid. At the strand. At the strand. Yes. And it was always locked during the time that kiddos were there, but maybe it wasn't during the time that they were having the opera or other cultural events. And, and it went into the tunnel system? Yes. It, well, you could get in there and... So what if you opened that door today? Uh, it's, it's been kind of covered up. And now that actually is where... Let me tell you what the real reason it wound up being there in a way. Uh, later on, it would be used for food supply in case of nuclear attack. And that's where the, the water and the crackers and I don't know what else they had in there were located. Because that's true at the Masonic Lodge, supposedly... Uh, the big Scottish Rite 
uh, Hall. And okay, that, across from the Fairmont. Across from the Fairmont. And that tunnel went back toward town, but the other tunnel that came out of there went toward Union Depot. And now you could actually see at one time where that had been cemented over. Okay. Okay. That's not there. The whole tunnel system is shut down. But it actually was for, uh, my belief is, it probably was for workmen to get from one place to the other. And maybe it was also for... Well, you said gentlemen would leave during an intermission at the Strand and slip over to the inn. To get a drink. No, I didn't say get to meet somebody. Uh, they, they wouldn't would, go meet the, the, uh, those well, ladies that were at the uh, opera house? I, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> oh, come on, okay. Ernie. But uh, anyway, uh, the uh, they would definitely go over there and get a drink at the bar because, you know, there's only so much opera you can handle. <laughs> and uh, so now that was the story that was told to me uh, by a number of people. And then there was an alternate story that there were uh, rooms above the Capri. That were used for illicit purposes, and uh, I'm not going to go much into that. Except there is a door right beside the Capri from <laughs> the street. Fascinating. We got to so, take a break, but I I, I want to ask you. Uh, well, I'll, I'll save it for the radio coming up. Ernie <laughs> Ernie Robertson in studio. Mike and McCarty. One oh one seven. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Rush Limbaugh used to say the fastest hour in broadcasting. Well, he didn't get to visit with Ernie Robertson. Uh, I can't believe. Yeah, we're almost in. I, the, one thing that strikes me is there are things like we say every single day. Oh, I gotta go Yuri Drive. I'm going out Yuri Drive. You know, um, you go past AC Steer School. You're going out Yuri. Those names mean something. Absolutely. Yuri Drive, A.C. Steer, these were fascinating men in the history of Shreveport. Now, Peter Yuri, Ca- uh, Captain Peter Yuri, I believe is the correct phrase, Alice, of his name, was uh, actually the uh, starter, more or less, of the Commercial National Bank. But even more than that, he was one of the most innovative businessmen in town. He not only owned the Yuri Hotel, before that, he owned the Phoenix, which was on Texas right behind the Yuri. And and A.C. Steer, now, forgive me because I've read several of these books now, um, has chapters on these these men and and what mm -hmm. they've done to establish Shreveport many, many, many years ago. Um, A.C. Steer was a fascinating man. Uh, He was way beyond, way early for his times or whatever you want to say. Yes. Uh, But he was quite a developer, and that was one of the keys for Shreveport and the building of South Highlands in Shreveport mm-hmm. is a great story in and of itself. And every house in South Highlands, I can't, I can't write this book, but somebody needs to write the book about what every house really means to Shreveport and who lived there. The people that have lived in South Highlands are basically the core of the people who were the leadership of Shreveport for years outside of, say, well, I don't know. I mean, he lived near you, uh, Clyde Fent, who lived out on Ockley. Uh-huh. But, I mean, the point is, it's still close to South Highlands uh, when there are stones throw. So all of that needs to be documented somewhere, and it's not. 
unfortunately. What? Ernie. Not me. <laughs> Not me. I'm too old. I'm going to write a book, I think, on Ernie Tells the Truth. Oh. <laughs> I won't. But it's close. <laughs> okay, so, so what are some things that would be in that book? Well, right now we have a capybara invasion in Broadmoor. And I don't know if you know that or not. A capybara? Invasion. An absolute invasion of the capybara. is going on in Broadmoor. And so everybody's got to go figure out what's a capybara. And then go down to the duck okay, pond. Okay, good. So that... Go down to the duck pond and see them in the evening. Is that kind of a nutria? It kind of looks like a nutria. I, I saw them years ago, and I was talking to my daughter-in-law, and she said, they're still there. And so now these things, and they're they're an interesting little animal, but they're from South America. How did it get here? Yeah, I was about to say, uh, capybaras are, I, I think technically they're the world's largest rodent, a member That's of right. the rodent family. Well, isn't the nutria the same uh, thing? Well, kinda, yeah. Kind of kinda, next door to the nutrias. Kind of, yeah. But, uh, but the capybaras, they are they invasive? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, they seem to get along with ducks and turtles. I mean, we haven't lost the ducks and turtles. Uh, if they go after snakes, it's okay with me. But uh, I don't you and my wife, this. I don't like snakes. But uh, anyway, back to the other story. Nobody ever wrote that book of what each house. I'm really surprised nobody at least took part of that and went through mm -hmm. the South Highlands historic homes and the other historic homes that were on Fairfield and Jordan Street. You wouldn't believe what was on Jordan Street at one time. And it's all gone. Ah, it just it's heartbreaking. Ernie Robertson, this is the fastest hour. Thank you so much for coming in. We gotta take a Thank quick you. break with a little a little segment after the uh, your money now. Next. One oh one seven One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel. We were talking off mic, which which I told you save it for the radio. It, I know it's awkward during the breaks. We sit here and say nothing because I have so many questions that, that I <laughs> but I want to wait. Um, but we were talking about the Capri Theater. Now the Capri uh, was the Sanger you said back in its day. Originally it was the Sanger, and I the latest. Use of the Capri Theater. I know they they tried to make nightclub out of it mm -hmm. a couple of times. Um, sad, in my opinion. Uh, but the Film Prize actually used that as one venue because they have so many screenings of these. You know, they got twenty films to show. Um, they used the Capri as one of the screening locations, and so that was cool. That was great to go into the Capri Theater and watch films. You know, that was a lot of fun. Wish we could do that at the Strand, but we can't. Last picture I saw at the Strand when they were when they showed movies was, and, and it's funny because Ruben and I were just talking, was Legend of Boggy Creek. Wow, wow. That's how long ago that was. <laughs> Charles B. Pierce himself. Very nice. <laughs> Charles B. Pierce. And uh, he worked at Channel 6, you said. He did work at Channel 6. He was Mayor Chuckles. He was the art director. But he was most famous for being Mayor Chuckles. And, Which was a kid's show. Uh, a kid's show in the afternoon and a pretty raucous show. And uh, with him was the world-famous Carl Tibbetts, <laughs> who played uh, Mr. T. He had a flower pot on his head. <laughs> Later, T. a salesman at Channel 12. <laughs> and and uh, I remember the Laugh-A-Lot Club. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually got one time to go out and be on the, you know, in the, you know, they had little grandstands set right. up, little stands, and kids uh, w- would come in, come in the studio during the tapings. And uh, I, gosh, we've I had a lot that. of those shows, though. You got to remember, it goes oh. all the way back to Hub Brando, Hub Brando, and Toys for Tops for Toys. And I don't know who who his sidekick was, but the character name was Chief Bonehead, and I I never knew who that was. And then of course we had Al's Corral, Al Bolton, on Channel yes. Twelve with Al Bolton, and uh, and and uh, the Laugh a Lot Club was the one that I went. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember uh, Carolyn Mosley. Carolyn Mosley was uh, was one of them. She didn't play a character. She was basically a host. A host. Yeah. yeah, she was the hostess. I guess. Uh, Bob Griffin. Bob, Bob and his Griffin. buddies. Yeah, Bob and his buddies. And remember Bozo the Clown at Channel 3. Bozo the Clown, which I never understood how they appropriated that name. But anyway. <laughs> it must have been like a franchise <laughs> kind of thing. Maybe it was a franchise. But what was on Late Night? The Don Weagle, I think, was played. Late Night was the movies, right? Right. But they had a famous host on one of the TV stations. And she was like an Elvira. And, but it was a local version? It was a local version. It was Ruth Sprayberry. And I can't remember oh the character's gosh. name. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember her name. And she had a sidekick. And I can't remember her name either. It shows you what happens when you get old. <laughs> you forget all the important stuff in life. And that was, was that on what, three? That was on three. Okay. That was on three. I remember I dialing for dollars. Oh, yeah. Reese, Reese Bowden. Well, I mean, Janice Joplin sang about dialing for dollars. Is calling for me. <laughs> Don't you remember? Not the same dialing for dollars. Oh, here. I was about to be franchise. really impressed. No, it was the franchise. <laughs> I remember, because uh, I worked for for Channel 3 for years, and one of the guys, when he retired, had a lot of that memorabilia, and he had that, the big wheel. Oh, he had the wheel. He had the oh. wheel in his garage. Was it Racer? No, Don Weagle. Don Weagle. Yes. That sounds like something Weagle would have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He had a lot of memorabilia. Thank you so much. We <laughs> got to do this more frequently than we do. Always, <laughs> always a pleasure. Uh, Mike and McCarty, 101.7 FM, 710 Key 